0: Welcome to the unspoken truths of digital leadership, living the leadership values. Our guests will talk about the unspoken truths of leadership, the values, the dark side and the learnings from dealing with conflict with integrity, discover how they lead more effectively, how they make decisions, how they live their leadership values, and how they deal with the consequences that happen because of the decisions that they make. I am John O'Poon, I will be your host of the show. Please note that there may be explicit language used during the interview. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the unspoken truths of digital leadership, living the leadership values, where our guests will talk about the unspoken truths of leadership, the dark side, and the learnings from dealing with conflict with integrity. Today, I have a very special guest with me. She is Michelle Tillis-Lederman, one of Forbes' top five, 25 networking experts, is the author of f- four books, including the internationally known The 11 Laws of Likability," and her latest The Connector's Advantage. Michelle is a con- connection creator and a CEO of Executive Essentials, which provides customized communications and leadership programs for Fortune 500 nonprofit, university and government clients. A former finance executive, and NYU professor. Michelle is a regular in the media, appearing on NBC, CBS, Fox, NPR, The Wall Street Journal, NY Times, CNBC, and others. Michelle is known for helping people work better together and advance their individual impact. Welcome, Michelle.
1: Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thank you for booking on. I appreciate it. So, if that introduction isn't shocking and wowing enough for people already, how did you get into this space of helping others making an impact?
1: I made a lot of mistakes, and I wanted to save other people from doing the same thing. I uh, I actually spent my, the first decade of my career in finance, so I was the only woman on the trading floor. I was the only woman in a global venture capital team, uh, and I saw and did a lot of things that um, were ineffective communication and ineffective management. And it was, uh, it was frustrating. And um, I remember being across the table from people who wanted me to invest the money of the bank in their hedge fund. And I'm thinking, that's not how you pitch. (laughs) And um, that's kind of how, how it evolved is really um, to save others from making the same mistakes.
0: Um And, was there a, how did you change from finance into training and coaching and speaking and going on to you know media uh, platforms
1: yeah it seems like a complete left turn um the truth is i've always had that dual passion right so i had that left brain and do the finance thing and you know follow that path but i was a writing minor as a communications minor um, I was the one in my first job who always did the recruiting and the onboarding and the training because I thought that was fun, uh, but I just didn't know there was a career in it. And so, um, you know, when you think about entrepreneurship, it's it's a really scary leap. And so um, I... I stayed with one foot in finance while I was building my business on the side. And my initial client base was all financial services clients. So I was, uh, JP Morgan was my first and Deutsche Bank was my second. And I have worked with all the major banks because I understood the personality um, and the work. And so it was really easy for me to, to kind of take that little turn.
0: And before getting into uh, finance, and what did you do before that?
1: Before finance? Yeah. Uh, That my first job out of college was as an auditor with Arthur Anderson. So, um, you know, my jobs have been in uh, mergers and acquisitions in hedge fund investing in risk management um, you know, in, in venture capital it's, you know, was straight finance out of college. Um, And even after business school, I went into financial consulting and, um, you know, that was where I was up until 2004, when I started my business. And, um, you know, I kept a foot in there until 2005. And then I was a professor at NYU. And I have been on the faculty of several universities in as an adjunct, you know, doing executive education or, um, you know, with uh, the, you know, with undergrads with grad students at NYU, and um, just just continuously learning so I can continue to teach.
0: And what got you into teaching?
1: It's really funny. Um, I was at a, a conference once and, and I was at a table and, and the woman there had been a professor um, in management communications department at NYU. And I was like, oh, I always wanted to do that. But the truth is we tend to choose our our profession as an anecdote to something that was missing in our lives. right? So for me, it was financial security. And so I chose a path um, of, you know, something that would give me financial security. The other thing that we do is we focus on our strengths and I'm photographic for numbers. And I was always told I'm highly analytical. I didn't know what that meant, but apparently I was that. And um, so when you're good at something, you do it. And we don't really think beyond the anecdote and the strength to the passion and to the purpose. And it was in, you know, recognizing that there was actually the ability to have it all. Um, and I actually talk about designing your ideal life and understanding what it is that you want to get from the work, but also the lifestyle that you want to live. And I just basically created, I'm like, oh, I I can actually do all of this and, you know, not get paid a teacher's salary. I love our teachers, but, um, you know, <laughs> we don't pay them well enough.
0: That's, that is true, we don't we definitely don't um, appreciate them enough as well. What about designing your life? I think that sounds that's very intriguing.
1: Um, I think you cut out there for a second, but I think you asked me if I could talk more about designing your ideal your life.
0: life. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, there's an activity that I give some of my coaching clients, especially those who are trying to think about that transition and what they want to do next. And it, it, it's the three columns that we just talked about, um, but it's taking them in reverse order. So I want you to start with you know, thinking about if you had $10 million in the bank, how would you spend your time? You know, What are the magazines you read? What is just fun for you? And, and put it all on there. And then the second column can be the skills. Um, and then the third column is your lifestyle, right? So we're going now in reverse order of where I presented how my decisions were made. Now you're going to have a really long list. And I want you to spend weeks doing this. I want you to write down every time somebody says you're good at something. And then I want you to go back to that list and I want you to circle in the first column the the things that you love the most, right? So for me, animals was high on my list. Travel was high on my list. Um, but teaching was also on my list. That idea of being able to have an impact on, on people and circle about five things that really drive the passion and then go to the strengths. And I don't want you to pick the things that you're best at. I want you to pick the things that you enjoy being good at. Right. So apparently I'm analytical and I'm organized. Don't really get much pleasure out of those. <laughs> but I'm also really good with the spoken and the written word. And that for me is fun. So it's really about finding the things that you enjoy from your skill set and even the ones that you might not be great at, but you can build skill. You can't build passion. <laughs> Um, and then what you're going to do is you're going to take those two columns and say, OK, what are the possibilities here? What can we blend? Right. I actually looked into the study of animal science, but I am scientifically illiterate. You know. <laughs> um, and so there wasn't that blend. So I was trying to find matches with those two columns and then using column three, that lifestyle choice as a filter. And how do I start to pare down? And that's kind of an exercise that we can do to try to start to get towards our ideal because that ideal life is that last column.
0: Wow. Have you always enjoyed numbers since childhood?
1: Yeah. Yeah. My husband is a little afraid of me because we'll be traveling somewhere and there'll be like a 500 page book and I'll be like, oh, that's on page 243 on the, you know, bottom, you know, paragraph, like, cause I can visualize it. Um, if you ask me a name, I, I work really hard remembering names cause I find it very difficult. But when it comes to numbers, I remember telephone numbers. If you said it to me, I can remember it. Um, wow. It, you know, like my husband will be like, what's, what's the doctor's number? And I'll spit it off. And, and he's like, well, why don't you call the, my mother's in rehab. She's been there only two, two days, but yet I already know the telephone number because I dialed it once and I can just recall it. So, um, it's been a fun little trick when I was in my finance days, I actually was the auditor for the New Jersey state lottery. And while I was there, this is a f- funny story I don't tell very often, but, um, they, um, they basically do test machines. And I mentioned that I was photographic for my numbers in passing. Like, you know, I kind of said like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little photographic, like not, you know, not Sheldon on the big bang theory, but you know, <laughs> and um, at the end of the night, the guy goes, all right, so what were the winning numbers? You're so photographic. Like he was trying to challenge me. And I was like, told him the, what numbers for the pick three, the pick four and the pick six. And then I proceeded to tell him the test numbers which are three tests. So three tests on this pick three, the three tests on the pick four, and the three tests on the pick six. Didn't even know I knew them. I wasn't trying to remember them. I just pulled them out of my head. And then he goes, give me your wallet. What's your driver's license number? And I was like, hmm. And I saw it and I gave him and I know it by heart now. And then I knew my checking account number and then I knew my credit card number. And I was like, I guess I really am photographic. And that was one of those moments where I'm like, I thought I had this skill and now I know I have this skill. <laughs>
0: Do you know know how you develop develop that that skill? skill?
1: I think there are some weird things that we're just born with. Um, I did not try to develop it. Uh, It just was there for me. And it's not everything. I don't have a a memory for everything. But numbers just stay there.
0: (laughs) Relationship with numbers.
1: But I will say, you know, people, one of the things is um, there's a lot of memory tricks. And when I'm doing a talk and I'm doing a presentation, whether I have 500 people in the room or 50, I work really hard at remembering the names in the room. So if I've met you, if I've shaken your hand, I will remember to some extent you know, where you're sitting or something that we talked about. And people are always asking, how do you remember all those names? And the truth is, it's not natural. When you want to build a skill, right? So this is around designing your ideal as well. When you want to build a skill, um, it has to have that importance to you. And for me... Learning somebody's name is a sign of respect and of connection and caring. And that's what I'm all about. I'm all about creating connection. So if I learn your name and I then reference your name during a talk or what we talked about, you will feel a stronger connection. And so I work really hard at that. And there's different little mnemonic tricks that, that exists out there that help me. Um, and rhyming is definitely one of them. But if they move around the room, I'm lost.
0: <laughs> Interesting. And have you always been a people person?
1: Uh, yes and no. And so so that's kind of part of what my work is about. Mm-hmm. When um, people often ask why I wrote my first book, and the first book I wrote was The 11 Laws of Likeability. And the most recent is The Connector's Advantage. And and, and basically, The Connector's Advantage follows the, the laws of Likability. And, you know, originally I said I wrote the book because people kept asking me how I built my business. And that book was the answer to the question. This is how I built my business. This is how I developed my clientele. This is how I got repeat business. Um, but the truth of the matter is the reason, and that is true, but I think the reason I started being intrigued by likability was because I didn't think I was very likable. I, I tended to have a pretty polarizing response to people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they loved me, they hated me, but there wasn't much in between. And I was trying to understand what I was doing so that I could actually create the right response you know um and so that's where that research came from so yes i've always loved people i, I am a natural extrovert um but that said i it ne- doesn't mean i was good at it
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely it's a different skill isn't it yeah how did you improve upon them um, building on those skills then
1: so one of the things was understanding what drives likability and accepting that you can't make anybody like you, right? We are all likable, but what's likable about us for one person is different than what's likable about us for another person. So it's understanding that our goal is to enable people to see what's likable about us rather than, you know, like me, like me, like me. And um, the key and the core thread of likability is authenticity. It's being your authentic, goofy unique weird um self and when you put all of that out there um it's what i call unique charm <laughs> and um in the connector's advantage i talk about being open and accepting is one of the mindsets of a connector being willing to connect with other people you need to be open and accepting of them but also of yourself
0: hmm.
1: and to be open and accepting of ourselves is to accept those unique charms about ourselves, those qualities that are who we are, we're not changing them, but they don't always work for us, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And so for example, for me, it is that talkative nature. I talk a lot, it can be really intense. And I'm not gonna be a wallflower, I'm not gonna be ever accused of being quiet, but I have learned to flex and that's part of what I teach is how do we adapt to the situation and to the interaction to enable connection to form and so knowing that that's one of my unique charms I take a breath every once in a while I wait to see if you want to talk rather than just going for the whole time I ask more questions
0: I find for myself as being too direct
1: so that's one of your unique charms and sometimes that <laughs> But sometimes that really works for you, right? It's who you are. And then sometimes you recognize in a communication with somebody else, especially as a leader, as a leader, who's a direct leader, if you have people who don't respond well to that communication style, as a leader, it's your job to flex to them. A great leader flexes to their people, not the other way around. And so for you To recognize that this is one of your unique charms, you'll know when you start to what I call listen with your eyes and ears, you'll start to recognize like I've actually had people literally back away from me. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I'm coming on too strong. (laughs) (laughs) And so you might have people kind of like make a face or, you know, get protective with their body language and you'll know it's too much. They're protecting themselves from you and you'll know you need to tone it down.
0: How I found myself would have been to direct this because when I'm making a point, sometimes I could be too fluffy. So sometimes I I prefer to be more direct to the point instead.
1: You know what? I I am somebody who teaches communications and I really do believe on the bottom line on top approach, right? So give them the conclusion, give them the the answer, and then support it and and bring you know, kind of go to the details later, but Mm. not you know, and and that is a direct deductive approach to communications, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think it's about understanding your audience. When we talk about communication, one of the things I talk about is the I am model, and it's a, a twist on the Munter Russell aim model. Um, but I believe intent needs to be first, so I always say I am going to right at the end of this communication. I am going to that's my intent. I is intent, A is audience, and M is message. So. For you, as somebody who is thinking about um, you're always um, doing that anecdote thing, like, oh, I'm too fluffy, so now I'm going to be more direct. Oh, I'm too direct, now I'm going to be fluffy. Um, y- you know. And I think what it is is in the moment, in the situation, it's not about you are too much of something. It's what is the intent and what does the audience need in this moment?
0: The, the Connect is, is an Can you tell us more about this book?
1: Absolutely. This is my latest baby Um <laughs> <laughs> the you know i always say whatever it is you're working on whether it's getting a new client a referral a promotion um if you are actually trying to get an, an actual job somewhere if even if it's your health and your happiness statistics show that you are going to get there faster easier and better with relationships so mm-hmm. that's the connectors advantage faster easier better results and when we think about um, the mindsets of a connector, right? We already talked about one. I talk about seven mindsets that enable us to not just think about this idea of networking, right? Because networking has that awful word work in the middle of it. So I don't like it. (laughs) Um, my brother-in-law came into my office one day while I was finishing the connector's advantage. And he said, Oh, another networking book. I said, no, no, no. This is about being a connector. He goes, well, what's the difference between networking and a connector? And I said, networking is something you do. A connector is who you are. And I think it's a really important distinction because a lot of times we go out and we put on our networking hat and we said, okay, I'm going to go meet potential clients and I'm going to put on my pitch voice. And a connector is somebody who prioritizes relationships in everything that they do, in all of their interactions, professional, personal, all aspects of life. The relationship comes first. The business will follow with this approach. Because people do business with people they like. Hmm. And the relationship will win over a better product. The relationship will win over a better price. Because I'd rather choose to work with a person who I know will take care of me and have my back and make the adjustments that I need. We, we, we hire the service and we hire the relationship. Um, and it's the same thing. You know, 85% of jobs come from networking. You're 70% more likely to get a promotion with an active mentor relationship. I love statistics. Um, see, this is the numbers thing, right? I, <laughs> I got got so many statistics. Um, And there's one out of um, Brigham Holt University. A a researcher there looked at social isolation. And you have a greater impact on your mortality um, through social isolation than you do from obesity. So you can eat as long as you're with people. (laughs) Um, But it's equal to having smoked 15 cigarettes a day for 10 years. That is will kill you as quickly as social isolation. So it is not just about health. It is not just about um, you know, happiness. You improve your productivity by 50% when you have close work relationships and it predicts your happiness on the job. So relationships really um, improve all aspects of your goals. And that's the idea behind the Connectors Advantage. And, and how do we move from this idea of doing something to being this relationship focused person
0: does it matter whether it's in person or virtual now Mm. that most people are going online and
1: i'm like not at all
0: okay that's good to hear
1: not at all i will say that i think the video component i'm glad that you have the video component to this because i will say that that really does help Mm. There is a stronger connection when you can see some of the visual as well. But I have had somebody working for me for nearly five years. I've never met her, but I know her, you know. Um, There's so many people. I coach people that I've never met in person. And we have very deep and strong relationships. Um, But I always do try to have that video element. And when people aren't willing to put the video on, I'll go to their LinkedIn profile and I'll pull their picture up so I'm still looking at their face. Because you will find, and this is one of my little tips and tricks of the trade, when you are dealing with a new potential client or customer or um, vendor, anyone, pull up their picture and look at them when you're talking. Even if you know <laughs> um, it's not real video, uh, it keeps you focused and it has you connect to them um, more um, viscerally.
0: Especially if nowadays, in now that everyone's getting the whole Zoom fatigue or online fatigue, well, I was going to say, what other best? Um, how else can they build relationships um, better in a way?
1: You know, we're not going to be in this virtual world forever right? And so use the video, um, use the pictures. We're still always going to have a virtual component, but I don't want you to forget about the face-to-face. It is still possible today, but it will be much more possible in the months to come. So I want you to think about finding um, unused time, right? A lot of our time, are excuses for not relationship building and not um, nurturing those relationships is I don't have the time. But if you think about the things that you already do and think about things that the people who might do them with you. I have had many, a a business meeting, getting my nails done. Um, I have done um, business meetings, walking around New York city. And I was walking around New York city with a CEO of a company because he wanted, and it's it's in a way where I got the idea. He's like, well, I want to get my afternoon walk in. Will you walk with me? I'm like, absolutely. I'll walk with you. (laughs) And then we walked all around the city. We walked in the rain. We went into stores and like, wow, are we still connected a dozen years later? And it started with, hey, will you walk with me? So shifting your environment can help create more of a connection. doing I've had meetings at the gym or sweaty after the gym. Um, I have i hired somebody I met at a dog park, right? And And I've done meetings walking dogs. So, you know, you're doing these things. If there are people that you can do them with, right? You're going to an event. Who can you invite to go with you? These are, these are ways that you can start thinking about just integrating, connecting in everything that you do. Don't get me wrong though. I don't want to, you know, keep you from having your alone time and your downtime. We all need that. That's yours. That's not what I mean by underused time, right? (laughs) If you need to put your headphones on during the commute, do it. But (laughs) there's, there's enough moments in your day that we can invite others in.
0: And how else would you nudge in relationships
1: One of the most important um, mindsets of a connector is the generous spirit. Hmm. So just so your audience has heard the mindsets of a connector, um, connectors are open and accepting, they have a clear vision, they trust, they believe in abundance, they're social and curious, they're conscientious and they have a generous spirit. So those are the seven mindsets that I teach within the work. When you ask about how do you nurture relationships, I immediately go to the idea of a generous spirit. And this is also one of the laws of likability, a twist on it, because one of the laws of likability is the law of giving. And we want to give because we want to without expectation of something in return. And when you do that, um, you kind of pay forward that spirit of generosity and understanding that that there might not be reciprocity to you, and that's okay. Um, But what that spirit of generosity and that giving attitude allow is for you to feel valuable and valued to show others that you are listening, that you value them, that you want to be of assistance, which tightens, right? When when somebody feels valued, they want to stay connected. Um, But also you can make somebody feel valuable by letting them help you. And that's a lot harder for people, (laughs) but it feels so good when you get to be helpful Understand that allowing somebody to be helpful to you makes them feel good. It doesn't always have to be give, give, give. You are allowed to receive. You are allowed. And and that's actually one of the mindsets I talk about is having a clear vision. Ask for what you want. Allow people to have that same feeling that you have when you give. But the answer to the question is look for ways to add value to your network. What can you do for them? Invitations uh, we talked about information, uh, introductions, or just that appreciation, credit, recognition, that thank you, that goes such a long way.
0: Yeah, I find Uh, with with receiving,
1: receiving
0: self-worth. Huge self-worth issues.
1: issues. Hey, I wrote the book because I work on these things as well. Um, I forget that you can ask for help. And, um, you know, every once in a while, I'm like, oh, God, yeah, you can help me. Like tomorrow, I actually went to a friend. I'm like, can you help me figure out getting a ride to the DMV? Because my license has expired. And I thought it might not be a good idea to drive to the DMV with an expired license. Right? (laughs) I asked for help. And she's like, I'm on it.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Can you... Share how you deal with conflict and tension that within that arises in communication, in teams.
1: So I actually do a course called The Value of Conflict because mm. I don't think conflict is a bad thing. Um, but I think it's a way in which we, we approach it and how we feel about it. So one of the things is to understand what your preferred conflict style is. Right? Are you somebody who avoids conflict at all costs? Are you somebody who competes to win? Are you somebody who always, you know, accommodates what somebody else wants, or do you kind of just compromise all the time? Um, you know, and, and the, the fifth style is collaborating. So you know that sounds like the the holy grail of styles, but the truth is, um, the preferred mode of conflict is dependent on the situation, right? If there's a vital issue, if you're protecting somebody on your team, if there's an uh, ethical or uh, integrity issue, you should be in a competing style, right? That is the appropriate conflict approach. If you are trying to grow your team, like as a leader, if you want to see your team develop and empower your team, you should take an accommodating approach. You should allow them to choose the approach, right? That's not giving in. That's not, you know, giving up your power um but that is allowing somebody else to take that lead so you know collaborating is great but sometimes there's too many cooks in the kitchen Mm -hmm. so understanding what approach to take um and by analyzing the situation you can analyze the situation in two ways the importance of the relationship and the importance of the task and so if it's a really important relationship then you want to either be accommodating or collaborating and you know if you want if the task is really important then you really need to be either collaborating or competing. The middle ground is always compromise, right? And, and the compromise is a great backup strategy. But the thing about conflict is to understand what it gives you, not what it you know, erodes, right? So it can open up um, innovation. It can um, reveal issues with process. It can, um, it can really strengthen morale. It can uncover issues. I mean, it, it can bolster communication. Like there's so many benefits um, and potential, you know, p- positive outcomes of conflict that I don't want to, to avoid it and think that it's a bad thing in an organization. And, and there's organizations that actually do healthy competition, um, you know, that they kind of pin people up against each other. You know, and, and again, I'm not in those organizations to know how they do it, but you know, there's some really good benefits to it.
0: How, how do you manage um, conflict? What's your preferred style?
1: Um, I've taken the assessment multiple times and I um, I think I I have to work on my avoidance skill. I'm least uh, likely to avoid conflict. Apparently I like a little conflict. Mm. Um, <laughs> I I remember, you know, not my husband, but a past boyfriend. We used to fight all the time and I always thought it was so good for the relationship, because we figured things out. So my husband, and I never fight. And I at the first I was like, something's wrong, you know, (laughs) like, (laughs) something's missing. Um, And I think it's just that I learned more effective communication. And so we just don't fight, which is, you know, that's okay, as well. Um, But my problem is, um, not necessarily You know, what I lean to, but what I lean away from. And I think that's important for people to recognize. I don't avoid conflict and sometimes I should. Sometimes I make a mountain out of a molehill, right? And sometimes I don't let, like, it's just not that important of an issue and I should just let it be. Um, and so, so an awareness of what you don't tend to do, like, if you're somebody who doesn't ever compete, that's a skill you want to build. So I work on kind of being able to, like, let it go. Um, but I'm very comfortable in just about all the other styles. And I do try to think about the situation. Um, and, and not over collaborate because I like to, um, you know, and not compromise too quickly. Uh, it, cause, you know, and that's that there's some gender things there. Women tend to negotiate and compromise quickly where men don't. Men compete faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 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 I like to move around, but God, I, I'm never avoiding. <laughs>
0: Uh, I found it fascinating Um, because I never had a fight fight with my my fiancé and we've been together for 10 years. So it's good to hear someone someone else that has not had a fight fight in their their partnership.
1: I thought it was weird. Um, But I think what it is is um, it doesn't mean that you never get annoyed or frustrated. Um, It's about finding healthy ways to communicate that feeling. Um, you know, and so my husband and I are funny, like he leaves hangers all over, like cause he'll get dressed all over the house and there's hangers everywhere. Um, and so I'll like take a hanger and I'll put it on his chair or I'll put it on his like keyboard and I have shoes everywhere. And so he'll like hide one shoe on me, you know, (laughs) but it's all funny. And then sometimes he'll take one of his hangers and he'll hook it really high up. I'm four foot 10 so if he hooks it on the cabinet high up, I can't get it off and I can't open the cabinet. Um, but as, instead of getting mad at each other, we laugh. We use humor to remind each other that this bothers me, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, it, and it just doesn't bother you that much.
0: So make it fun.
1: We, we do. We try to make it fun. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. How did, how did you get into speaking? This is a good one. I
1: wrote a book. <laughs> um, you know, I had started my business in 2004, and I had been doing a lot of training, and I, I love training. That's that's my core. Uh, and once you write a book, people want to hear you talk about that book, and that's how it started. And um, I found that I could have even greater impact in the one to many than in the one to few, and in the one to one. And I I have all those aspects of my business, so I. I got off a coaching call just an hour ago. I do work one-on-one, but I keep it to a small number. Um, I do the small group training, you know, anywhere from 15 to 50. And then I do the talks up to thousands of people. And um, it's nice to have that mix. And if you're thinking, if anybody out there is thinking about speaking, you know, speaking is great as a marketing tool, um, you know, or it could also be a revenue stream for me, it's one of my product offerings is to speak. Um, But I also do have a pro bono calendar for causes that I care about, or for um, nonprofits that also could be a marketing audience. So it's a, you know, you speak for free, if it might generate other business for you. Um, But you can also get paid to um, be teaching. And there also might be ways to, to roll that out into more business as well. So I will tell you speaking begets speaking most of the time when you finish talk, people rush the stage and I have booked gigs in that moment.
0: (laughs) It's the best way to get yourself out there. Did you have any challenges with speaking when you first started out or was it something that you just kind of come natural to you?
1: Oh no. Speaking did not come natural to me. I remember in high school, um, I wouldn't run for student council because the idea of having to give a speech like voluntarily, like why would you want to do that? Uh, that's homework. Um, so no, I took a public speaking class my junior year of high school to try to overcome the fear. And the feedback from my professor was, you can't be heard past the third row, your voice shakes, and you talk a mile a minute. I'll never forget that. And I still talk a mile a minute, but I'm from Jersey. So, you know, forgive me. Uh, (laughs) But I've learned to project and I've learned how to hone the skill. And I continue to take uh, courses to improve the skill. So for me, it was about learning the skill. Um, And at the end of the day, I believe, and I teach public speaking now, And I teach people that I can I can tell you all these little things that you can do with your hands and your body and all of this stuff. At the end of the day, connect to your message. Mm -hmm. If you connect to your message, it doesn't matter if you trip on a word. It doesn't matter if you have an um here or there, as long as it's not everywhere. (laughs) It doesn't matter so much if your hands are perfect and, and things like that, because people will connect to your passion and your energy around that message and your story. Um, and so that's what I live and breathe is, hopefully it's coming across to your audience. I am imperfect in my delivery, but my passion is always there.
0: How did you come across your passion?
1: That's a really interesting question. Um, it was a process um, and it actually, I. I I've always loved those things. I just never thought that, you know, I shared that. I never thought there was a career in them. I was working for a bank uh, and I was kind of a like special projects on the trading floor. And my boss was promoted to be the CEO of the Tokyo branch. So he sent me to Tokyo and said, Michelle, prepare all these people for me. That was my mandate. He said, we're having an offsite. They need to present their their information and you know how I like it presented. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with business in Japan, but um, they like to um, over-deliver the quantity of information. (laughs) To put it mildly, they brought me 50-page decks. And I said, okay, pick three to five pages out of this, because that's all you're going to get to deliver. Um, You know, and so... I started coaching all these people, this two week gig of kind of preparing for this transition. And at the end of the, the you know two week te- period, I went to the CEO and I said, yeah, I can do this. Cause I had actually hired a coach to go with me to help me, but I did everything she did. And then some, and I got paid like this much of what she got paid. You know? <laughs> um, and uh, he said, okay, but you still have to do everything else. I said, okay. And so my transition began. While I was still working in finance for the bank, still doing my full-time job, but he allowed me to learn. So when he wanted performance management training, he sent me to take a class in it and then make it the bank's way and teach it to the bank. So um, that's how it began. And I began a process of continuously learning. Um, So I just kept taking courses and courses. I literally just took a course um, at the end of December. Uh, And I got a new coaching certification because I believe that there's always more to learn. Mm -hmm. Did I answer your question? I don't remember the question.
0: (laughs) How did you find your passion?
1: Oh, so I found my passion because I started doing the work. (laughs) And I said, I love this. I'm good at this. Let me do this. And, um, you know, and then as I took courses, I took courses at the American Management Association when the bank wanted me to. And so I went up to them. I took a course called Train the Trainer and I said, hi, I'm Michelle, I'm a trainer, um, I want to train communications for you. And they said, let me see your resume. And I showed them my resume. They said, no, you're a finance trainer. I said, okay, hi, I'm Michelle, I'm a trainer, I want to train finance for you. <laughs> and they hired me to do Training, you know, not as a, like as a contractor, um, and so I got to start doing it and prove myself. And I said, okay, now that you see I'm a great trainer, will you let me teach fine teach uh, communications? And they did. And so um, I just get getting to explore. And i I think what I realized is, um, and this is something that's great for everybody to think about, circling all the way back to our beginning of our conversation around design your ideal. You need to understand what you need out of a job, right? Um, people sometimes need the sense of achievement, like the task orientation. Some people need that sense of influence. Some people need that sense of recognition. Um, some people need all three. And to seek what you're looking for in that role, right? So I, like most of the world, who doesn't like recognition? It's one of the top three things that leads to job satisfaction is recognition. So I get to get on a stage and have people clap. I get that that piece that I need. I like to feel that I'm influencing and having impact on others. And when I'm working closely with a small group and people are, you know, having that exchange with me, I know that I'm making that difference. I'll never forget. And it was teaching finance. Nobody wants to learn finance. Um, (laughs) like people would be, it was called, um, finance and accounting for non-financial managers. They were prisoners. They didn't want to be there. And, um, I had one woman come up to me and say, they want me to do this job. I can't do this job. I don't want to be here. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of this. And I said, I got you. We're going to be okay. We got three days. Give me, give me at least two. By the end of the second day, she came up to me and said, I'm going to take the job. That's what I need, like to know that I'm making that difference. Those notes that some, I got a note from somebody I taught in NYU 15 years ago who told me that my class has made the difference in his life and his success was due to my class. And like, he brought me to tears. I wrote a whole blog on it. You can look at my blog. Um, it was the cool, like, right. So understand what you need to get out of a job and look for ways to get it for yourself. That will drive your engagement and that will drive your satisfaction.
0: Awesome. And lastly, how do you manage your stress and tension?
1: <laughs> I need help. <laughs> Probably not. Well, um, you know, it, it's really interesting because I always found stress to be a great driver. It was mm. what, and and for some people that can that that like stress, um, it fuels them. And I find that if I don't have a lot of work and I don't have deadlines, I'm not as productive. Um, that said sometimes it's really hard to relax and unwind and turn it off. And I see it in my children now. And so um, I'm I'm trying to learn how to meditate. I'm not good at it. Um, but I do believe in the idea of self-care. And so what I've tried to implement in the last year is um, one thing a day. One thing a day that is to um, kind of give me that me thing, whether it is doing a jigsaw puzzle for a few minutes, um whether it is watching my soap opera which i love still um <laughs> if it's like going and getting my nails done getting massage something like that if you find that one thing that you can feel like okay just a little me time um and it doesn't have to be the same thing every day i will tell you i'm open to advice because i'm not great at it <laughs>
0: <laughs> no but i was just in, intrigued because you know working in a leadership and communications—it's never easy. Well, none of it, no, nothing is easy, really. But I find that there's a lot of deadlines, and there's always conflicts and things that you have to manage as well.
1: I think it's about framing. Hmm. You know, yeah, there's a deadline, um, and that means that you can check the box and feel that sense of accomplishment, right? So that's how you frame it. Um, you, there's conflict, but we already talked about how do we frame that as opportunity. So, you know, I am very sensitive to language. When I teach communications, one of the things I talk about is positive, neutral, or actionable language. So um, you don't have to be a Pollyanna, but if you, instead of saying, I'm not a good public speaker, right, which one of my kids has said to me, I say, yet, yet, right? Just add the yet. Or I say, "Mm -mm. I don't want you to say what you're not. I want you to say what you are or what action you're taking. So he'll say something like, I'm working on getting better, or I'm trying to become a better public speaker. And so when you speak in action, it gives you power and control to do something with it. And so I think with all the stress, think about the words you choose to describe the things that you have to do, and you might catch yourself.
0: It's the, the meaning and definition we give to the words, right?
1: Yeah. We believe our own story. So tell yourself the story you need to hear.
0: Awesome. And for those that want to connect with you, where can they go?
1: I love having people connect with me. Um, the best place to start is actually my website, which is Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, Tillis, T-I-L-L-I-S, Letterman, L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N.com. From there, you can find my YouTube channel. Um, I do little success shorty videos. You can find my blog. You can find me on LinkedIn. That is my favorite social media platform. Um, but the other ones are up there as well, Insta, Twitter, whatever. Um And I actually give a bunch of things away. So I talked about that exercise. Um, I have a branding exercise on my um, gift pack. So if you go to my website and you um, put your email address in, there's a whole bunch of gifts that I give away, free chapters to the books. Um, I do quizzes on what level networker are you and things like that. So um, just tell me where you heard me.
0: I'll link those links as well in the show notes as well.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. I do have a special right now. If you do want to be a connector, um, you can gift the gift of connection. You want a reason to reach out to somebody, gift them the book. I have a whole little special package where I put a note and autograph it and bookmark. And I put in a little package and I send it off for you. So um, I think I gave you that link. But if I didn't, I'll get it to you.
0: Awesome. I'll include that. Thank you much, Michelle, for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you for listening to the unspoken truths of digital leadership. I hope you found this interview insightful and useful. Please remember to subscribe and review the podcast. And if you have found it useful, please feel free to send it and share it to your network as I will be very appreciative that it will spread and help out more people in the world. If you would like more information, all the show notes and resources that I will be providing you, then please go to www.johnopoon.com, go to the blog and find the podcast section. Step up, show up and stay up. Take care.